I really like that song a lot. It's one of my favorite Christmas songs. I don't know if I call it a carol, but it's one of my favorite Christmas songs because it presents a, a particular vision of Christmas, of kind of a cozy, familiar, tight circle of friends and relatives who are near to us and who are dear to us and who have gathered around us. And it's one vision of Christmas that I would call a good vision of Christmas. Um, Our gospel reading this morning from John chapter 1 provides us with a different vision of Christmas that doesn't negate the first vision of Christmas. Think of it this way. The, The song that you just heard, Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas, is like taking a zoom camera and zooming in on one tight group of people around Christmas. The Gospel of John that you heard this morning zooms out and gives us this huge, cosmic, global picture of the Christmas story. Another vision of Christmas. If we were to write a song about that, we might call it, Have Yourself a Merry Global Christmas. I know it's not as catchy, but that's basically the theme of John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. You'll notice, I don't know if you noticed as we read through the, the text, there's all kinds of references to all people and everyone. So like verse 3, it said, all things were made by him. Verse 4, he is the light of all people. Verse 5, is the true light that enlightens everyone. Verse 12, to all who received him, he gave power to become children of God. So again, there's this huge global perspective. Have yourself a global little Christmas. This morning, I want to look at this global angle, this wide angle, zoom out with the gospel writer John and look at what does it mean to have a global Christmas message? What does it mean to believe in a global Savior? What does it mean to be global Christians? And basically just going to make two simple points based on John chapter 1. First is that Christ is the light that shines on everyone. Christ is the light for all people. And secondly, Christ is the one who offers grace to all people. Light for every person on the earth, grace for every person on the earth. So if you turn with me to John chapter 1, we're going to look at uh, not everything in here because this would be like getting a crash tour of uh, downtown Chicago in 25 minutes. I mean, this is a very complex, beautiful, rich passage. But let me just hit a few highlights. You'll notice that it starts with, it says, "Is the beginning was the Word, and the Word is capitalized. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him, and without Him not one thing came into being. And if you're not familiar with this passage, you might go, who is this Word? Who is the Word? Well, uh, the word was uh, actually a phrase taken from Greek philosophy that has some great background to it. But let me just cut to the chase and, and go down to verse 17 because John will finally tell us who the word is. He says, the law indeed was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So everything that's ascribed to the word in the first three verses is talking about Jesus. And then notice verse 4. It says, in him was life and the life was the light of all people. There's that global perspective. Jesus is the light of all people. And then also look at verse 9, because he says this again in a different way. He says, talking about Jesus, he says, He's the true light which enlightens everyone who was coming into the world. Christ is the true light that shines on everyone. Now, it's a pretty astounding claim. I mean, does that mean that Jesus is shining on Buddhists, Hindus? Atheists? 
Now, what, is, what does that mean? In what sense is he shining on them? Well, it's a, the, in the original language, it's in the present tense, which means this is an ongoing process, which he is, he is still shining on everyone. Again, I'm not sure exactly what that means. I'm not sure exactly what that looks like. But let me tell you a story of someone that we met when we were in Jos, Nigeria, which is in, kind of in the center to northeast part of Nigeria. We spent two weeks there uh, with Bishop Stewart and his son, and I was part of that trip as well. And we met this uh, Anglican priest named uh, uh, Father Tunde. And Father Tunde was married to a beautiful woman named Abodia, and they had a couple of small children. And uh, Tunde was, I just assumed he was raised in a Christian family. But he said, no, I, as he told his story, he said, I was actually raised in a very strong Muslim family. And I'd never really heard the name of Jesus. And then Tunde told a story, which, stories which are becoming increasingly common. People that work with missions in the Middle East will tell you these stories are, are not, not happening every single, to every single person. But they're becoming more and more frequent where Muslims who are raised in a Muslim home have no contact with Christianity, or unless it's just negative, are having dreams about the person of Jesus. And so Tunde said, well, this is how I came to know Christ. I had a dream in which Jesus appeared to me in a dream. And he was holding a lit candle, shining bright. And he brought me into this room. And in this room, there were all these candles that were not lit yet. And Jesus said, you must take my light and you must light all these other candles. He said that was the first step on his journey towards Christ. He had other dreams about Jesus and his dreams. He came to accept Christ as his Savior. He was disowned by his family, kicked out of his house as a young man, basically treated as for dead, but he kept following Christ. Now, Tunde's story is really interesting because somebody, nobody really shared the gospel with him Jesus appeared to him in a dream. Now, it doesn't always work that way, as we're going to see. But Christ was drawing him. Christ was shining on him. Christ's light was appearing to him in his dreams. When somebody comes to Christ who doesn't know Christ, I believe that based on this passage, they're not meeting someone in that they've never met before. They're actually not meeting a complete stranger. They're actually meeting somebody that was already seeking them, already wooing them, already drawing to themselves. Theologians sometimes call that prevenient grace, that God's grace goes ahead of us and draws us to himself. Christ is the light that shines on everyone. Look also at verse 5. There's another example of how the light shines. It says, the light shines in the darkness, or literally translated, the light is shining on in the darkness. And it's a strong verb. We could even translate it, the light is shining on even now in the darkness. And the darkness did not overcome it. Another very powerful claim about the person of Christ. You know, one of the lessons that we learned from the church in Nigeria, because this was definitely a a two-way trip, and they taught us as much or more than we taught them. And that's why we're excited to hopefully try to bring a team of their people to come here to teach and disciple us. But one of the things that profoundly moved us over and over again is the way the church in Nigeria, the Christians in Nigeria responded to suffering and persecution. Certain areas of the northeast of Nigeria, certain of the states in the northeast, have, have been seen um, the presence of Boko Haram, which is an extreme uh, terrorist group, which is causing intimidation. 
They're the ones that kidnapped a couple hundred girls and basically sold them to other Muslim men for brides. Um, Boka, that's the work of Boko Haram. You've maybe heard about them. Just this last week, they moved into a village of about 200 people and completely wiped out the village just in the name of fear, uh, cruelty, intimidation, just to make a point. So Boko Haram is there. While we were there, um, a bomb went off in the market district, the main market district, because the goal of Boko Haram is to cause as much carnage as possible with one suicide bomber. 32 people were killed. Um, 50, 60 others were injured. Um, but what really moved me about that experience was watching the fellow Christians, our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, respond to that. They were human beings. They were sad. They were worried. They were anxious. They get angry. Um, they want this to stop. Um, they want the military and the police to do their job. And yet, in spite of that darkness that just kind of hovers over Joss and further to the north and the east, in spite of that darkness, these followers of Christ are absolutely committed to sharing the light of Christ where they are. It was just a powerful demonstration to me of the power of the light overcoming the darkness. This is not an impersonal force. This is the presence of Jesus Christ as the light of the world who is shining into this dark place. Uh, Let me just pause for a minute and just sort of bring it back from Joss, Nigeria to us. Because maybe during this Christmas season, I know Christmas is not always easy for people. Sometimes it's actually a time where people experience darkness and brokenness. Maybe the darkness in your own heart or maybe the darkness in your family or maybe the darkness of difficult relationships the darkness of grief and loss. Let me just say that maybe this verse is for you this morning as well. Not just for some far off place, but it's for you. And maybe sometime during this service, it's appropriate for you to pray, Lord Jesus, you're the light of the world. Shine your light into my heart. I need your light into my heart. I got some dark things that feel like they're overcoming me. Would you come into my heart and would you shine on me and may your light, may the light, the darkness never overcome your light within me. Maybe that's just a prayer you need to make this morning. So Jesus is the light that shines on everyone. He also offers grace to everyone. There's a second part of this global look of the the gospel of John, this global Christmas story. Uh, You know, back in 2005, Bono, the lead singer for U2, was interviewed for a book. And uh, one of the quotes in that book, he was asked about his view of religion or spirituality. And um, he had an absolutely, I think was an absolutely profound and gospel-centered answer. And he he said this, in the interview, he talked about about basically two ways to live your life. And one is, is karma. Karma is the idea that what goes around comes around. You get, you get what you deserve. You get what you got coming. But then um, Bono went on to say, he went on to say, there's another concept that completely upends this concept of karma. And that is the Christian biblical concept of grace. That we get gifts that we do not deserve. And Bono went on to say, I'm glad that at the end of the day, 
karma is not going to be my final judge. Because he said, I've done some stuff I'm ashamed of. And I've failed in a lot of ways. And I've failed to love God and I've failed to love my neighbor. But in the end, I'm not going to be judged by karma. I'm going to be judged by a God of grace. And then he literally went on to say, I'm banking all my hope on the fact that Jesus carried my sins on the cross. And I'm going to be judged by his grace. Now that's a beautiful, powerful, gospel-centered statement. And it really fits within the context of these verses in John chapter 1. Because John is talking about the way of grace. And he compares and contrasts the way of ascending to God, unaided by grace, and the way of God descending to us, purely out of grace, not based on our merit. Look what he says in verse 14. A very powerful verse, maybe familiar to some of you. It says, And the Word became flesh and lived among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory as of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. Remember, the Word is Jesus. So saying, because we could not ascend our way to God based on our moral righteousness, our moral effort, being a good enough person, being a Christian enough person, God, in the person of Jesus, the Word became flesh, took on human flesh, real flesh, in a real place, in a real city, in a real village. He came among us and we have seen His glory, the glory as of a Father's only Son. Now, John tells us that there's two ways to respond to this, this descent of God. There's two ways. Verse 11 says this, He came to what was his own, his own people. He came to his own people, the people that should have known him the best. And what happened? His own people did not accept him. Here it is. This is one of the saddest verses in the entire Bible. He came to his own people, the people that knew the promises of his coming. They knew the covenant. They knew the law. And they did not accept him. That is one way to respond to this divine descent of grace. Is we say, I don't want it. I don't need it. I'll do it on my own. The second way, John says in verse 12, But to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave power to become children of God, who were born not of blood, And literally in the Greek here, it's three knots. Not of blood, not of the will of flesh, not of the will of man, but of God. In other words, human beings did not work their way to God. They received it as a gift. And to all who received him, Christ, he gave them power to become children of God. Now, I saw a really powerful image of this how we could apply this, what this means. Uh, When we were in uh, Nigeria, we went to this uh, small village, which was two miles west of the city of Jos. Jos is a city of about 1.3 million, which has grown a lot over the last few years because a lot of refugees have come from the northeast, where Boko Haram is, where the terrorist attacks are, where there's warfare. So a lot of them have come, moved into Jos, so Jos has swelled. But once you go a couple hours outside of Jos, Village life is still pretty much the way it's been for hundreds of years. So we drove out two hours west. 
And we went to this little tiny village of 150 people called Ratsu, spelled R-A-T-S-U. And in this village, there's an Anglican priest named Father Andrew and his wife Patience, who have planted this Anglican church called St. Barnabas Anglican Church. This beautiful, simple, rustic little church with wasps flying around in the rafters. But one of the priests told me, don't worry, they're born-again wasps, so they won't sting you. So, and they didn't, so, which was nice. So anyway, but in this village, we were visiting with some of the kids. And all the adults were kind of over here talking. Uh, Father Andrew and his wife Patience, Bishop Stewart, and a couple other Anglican priests. And I saw this scene with these kids... There was about uh, maybe a 10 or 12-year-old boy who was chasing a 10 or 12-year-old girl. And he was really angry about something. Now, the kids don't speak English. They speak Hausa, which is a tribal language. So I couldn't really understand what was going on. But I could tell he was angry. And he was bent on, like, getting her. So he caught up to her, and he violently kicked her in the back. And she went sprawling in the dust, face down. And the ground is hard, this hard red dirt. So she's lying in the ground, and she's obviously hurt, and she's obviously humiliated, and she starts sitting there. She's just lying there and weeping. And I'm, like, looking around, like, uh, adult? Does she have a dad? Well, the dads have, like, two or three wives, and they have lots of kids, and they're, a lot of them are getting sloshed on corn beer, so they're not always really around. The moms do a lot of the work in the village, and so they're overwhelmed, and they're taking care of a lot of other kids, so there she is, lying in the dirt, alone. And it was a picture of utter desolation. It's like, what do you say? I don't know the language. What do you do? I don't want to do anything inappropriate here, you know. You know, if I would have known Hausa, and if I would have been at the top of my spiritual game, which I'm usually not, but if I was, this is what I would have liked to have said based on this verse. Do you know how much there is a God in heaven who loves you right now. You are not alone. And this good news of Jesus, the one who has descended for us, which she's heard about in the church because the church is in the center of the village, do you know that this Jesus gives you incredible dignity as a girl, as a young woman, And if you call on his name, he gives you power. Not just good advice. Not just um, lessons. But he gives you power. Spiritual power to become a daughter of this heavenly father. That's the message of the gospel. You know, I began to think about that. That's not any different than how any of us come to Christ. We might think, well, we have resources. I was born in a good family. I was born in a Christian family. I was born in Wheaton. I was born, I'm a part of this church. We come to him exactly the same way. We have a powerful picture of that when children are baptized. They don't do anything to earn the grace that they're getting, that they're receiving. 
When we come to Christ, we receive. It's like getting a Christmas gift. You know, we get gifts probably because we kind of deserve it. Maybe we've done some good things. But the gift of God is utterly without merit. It's a free gift to us. That is the grace that is offered to us. The same grace that's offered to you. And let me just pause again. Just kind of bring this from Joss Ratsu to here, today, to us. Let me just say, if you're trying to somehow find your way to God, ascend to God, get right with God, get your act together, unaided by grace, let me just say, there's a better way to do it. There's actually the only way to do it. Because notice in this passage, Jesus isn't just one of many lights. He is the true light. And he's the one that's come down. He's come down to you. And he's offering you a gift of salvation. The power to become a son of God. The power to become a daughter of your heavenly father. He's offering that that power. And the only way to get it is to receive it as a free gift. Well, what is our response to this? The light that shines on everyone, the grace that's available to everyone. What's our response to this? So we we zoom in on this kind of cozy picture of Christmas, which is good. That's good too. But then we zoom out, get this global view. What is our response? Well, our response is found in another character in this story, this gospel reading, that at first glance... I'm not sure what he's really doing in this story. Notice verse 6. So it's talking about the Word. It's talking about how the Word made everything, and Jesus is the true light, and all this global cosmic stuff. And then it focuses on this one guy named John, John the Baptist. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify to the light so that all might believe through him. He himself was not the light, But he came to testify to the light. Now, when I first read this, and then John appears again in verse 15, where so John just kind of woven throughout this kind of incredible global story of Jesus' light and grace. And and here's John that keeps showing up. What is he doing there? He's kind of like a relative that just won't leave after Christmas. You know, we already got him like three times before Christmas, and now here he is again after Christmas. Well, John is a witness to the light. John is like us. He's like you and me. Because here is how God has chosen to get this message out. This message of light that is available to everyone. This message that the light that that the darkness can never overcome it. This message of grace. This message of power. John is the one who is called by God to share that message to proclaim it, to get it out there. It's a very powerful message. You know, I think about Father Andrew and his wife Patience living in that village of Ratsu. You know, he, he was appointed there by the archbishop, but he wants to be there. He wants to spend the rest of his life there. They've started a little agricultural a farm where they grow tomatoes and beans and spinach, and it provides food for their village. It also provides food for other villages in the surrounding area. 
And his goal is to have a bunch of chickens all over the place and to provide jobs for people in his village and jobs for people in the surrounding villages. I mean, it's this incredibly holistic vision of ministry. And then the church is there. He's sharing the gospel. I think about Father Andrew. You know, he is in the middle of a very dark place. I mean, Boko Haram could come. That is exactly the kind of village that just gets wiped out in one night. And it takes the police or the military about 48 hours to get there and respond to it. He doesn't have, a, they have no cell phone coverage. There's no internet. There's no electricity. There's no running water. I mean, there's no one to call for help. He's utterly vulnerable. And yet he wants to be there. He's chosen to be there. He's not afraid to be there. Because for him and his wife, Patience, that's where they are called to be a light. Now, we're in different places. We're scattered into businesses and schools and homes and neighborhoods. We have jobs maybe in social work. We have jobs maybe in uh, accounting or we have jobs in doing an auto mechanic or whatever it is you do. You wonder, well, where am I called? Well, you're called just as much as John the Baptist. You're called just as much as Father Andrew and Patience. You are called in the place where God has put you to share the light of Christ. So, as we look at this global Christmas story, let me just encourage you to pray two prayers. This, the end of this year, this Christmas season. So we're in the Christmas season, maybe even through Epiphany, which is the next season in the church year. Two really simple prayers. Number one is a prayer for us individually. And that is a prayer, Lord, send me. Send me. I'm not the light, but I want to bear witness to the light. So, Lord, I just want you to send me. And you may have no clue what that's going to mean. No clue where he's going to lead you. No clue who you're going to talk to. But just start praying, Lord, send me today. Send me to somebody today. Send me someplace this week where I can speak a word of encouragement in the name of Jesus, where I can love somebody in the name of Christ, where I can pray for somebody that's far from God. That's the first prayer. Lord, send me. And the second prayer is a prayer for us as a church. And that is us as a church family. Lord, send us. Make us truly, make our heartbeat, make our lives align with this global message, this global Savior who wants to draw all people to himself, who wants everyone to come to know his grace. Make us a truly global church. You know, one of the things I got really excited about when I was in Joss was that we've had a partnership with Joss, the diocese, the Anglican diocese of Joss for a number of years now, before I came on staff. And uh, a few, two, three years ago, we did our Easter, uh, special Easter offering, and we gave it to Joss. I was new to the church. I didn't even know where Joss was on a map. You know, I didn't know it's by Abuja, the capital of Nigeria. I didn't know the capital of Nigeria. I knew almost nothing about Nigeria. I knew nothing about the work of Joss. And so I gave some money, but I wasn't like real excited about it. You know, it's like, okay, I'll give a little money because the church wants me to give some money. And then I'm like actually there. And you actually see some of the stuff, a building that was built in our, with our funds from Church of the Resurrection. 
people, young people, excited about their faith, being trained in healthcare or being trained in ministry to minister to the whole person, to share the love of Christ, but to also to minister to the whole person. And you see that and you go, wow, we were a part of that. We were a small part of that. That is amazing. I just, I want to do more. How can we do more? And I, not only do I want to do more for them, I want them to do more for us. Because they have a lot to offer us. They have a lot to teach us. So pray, Lord, send me. And Lord, send us. What does it mean that we are globally connected? So I pray this Christmas season that we're still in, I hope Christmas Eve and Christmas Day, I hope they were merry little days for you, you know? And I hope this Christmas season is a merry little Christmas season where friends who are dear to you will be gathered near to you, as the song says. I pray that it's a zoom-in kind of Christmas. But then I also pray that we would have a global, a merry global Christmas, that we would zoom out and that we would be people and a church that say, Lord, send me. Lord, send us. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.